This morning we're going to be remembering Moses, and I'm going to ask you um, to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Acts chapter 7, and we're going to be in Exodus, so if you want to go ahead and get your finger there and uh, kind of hold a place, we're going to be rolling through some scriptures. And I just want to remind you that we kicked off the year, and we're going to be all year long. We're going to be looking, we're going to be jumping from Psalm 105 and looking at a lot of characters. In Psalm 105, when we started out the year, we talked about and we looked at from Psalm 105, the one of the things that you see in the first 10, 11 verses there that David is proclaiming is that you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan for your faith. So for each and every one of us, one of the things that's difficult is for us to keep in mind that we've got to be intentional. There's got to be regularity. There's got to be consistent intentionality about our faith or it is not gonna grow. And I use this goofy, this goofy illustration. You're not gonna slip on a banana peel and accidentally fall into the presence of God. It doesn't happen that way. So if you're looking for an easy way out, it's not gonna come in the form of godliness and being close to God without you making the effort to be intentional. You've got to have a plan in place. So I'm going to ask you again as we get started this morning, what is your plan for your faith this year, this year of 2020? What are you going to be intentional about? And the second thing is that we've got to remember what God has done. Now, I text a lot of you this week just as a reminder and a follow-up, and if you don't want to be annoyed by me during the middle of the week and me trying to encourage you spiritually, all you got to do is text me and go, no, thank you. And I will not harass you. But as long as you say to me, Pastor, come on into my life, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. And I'm going to keep coming. Amen? Right? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Because here's the thing. We've got to remind each other, and we've got to remember the good things that God does. So I said this week when I'm trying to text you and encourage you, got to remember the good you got to remember the good, and you've got to learn from the bad. And a lot of us have that backwards. But we've got to learn to remember the good. So Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, turn there with me, and let's read some scriptures real quick, because we're going to be looking at Moses this morning. And what's amazing, if you compare Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11, and you see Moses mentioned, we're going to begin in verse 23 here. Verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw what a beautiful child, what he was a beautiful child, and they went not afraid, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, um, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who, who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Um, Whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spices with peace. Now, Acts chapter 7, and you're going to see the context here is that Stephen is proclaiming the greatness and he's reminding these people, these religious leaders, of the things that are of faith and not works from the old old law, the old experience, and he's reminding them, he's proclaiming these great things right before they take his life. 
Stephen was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin reading in verse 20. And Stephen said, at this time, Moses in his father's house, he was in his father's house for three months. But when he set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him, when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Now, I need you to circle that real quick because we're going we're gonna to circle back to that later on in the lesson. Verse 23, now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed, and he struck down the Egyptian, for he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day they appeared, he appeared to two of them as they were as they were fighting. And he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Are you, why, why do you do wrong for one another? But he said, who, who, did the, who did his neighbor wrong, pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at the saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. Verse 30. And when 40 years had passed, now you can mark that, that he's 80, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flame of fire and in a bush and in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them, and now I come I will send you to Egypt. And if you go ahead and read verse 35 all the way down through that section, you're going to see just how God used Moses. Now, as we go through things this morning, I've got a lot of ground that I want to cover this morning. So I hope that you can hang with me as we run through things. Um, I want to just, um, I want you this morning, I want you to give some considerations of, of Moses' life as a prince of Egypt. Now, I want you to think about this because if you're not careful, you can read over certain things and you can kind of miss what's going on. So I pointed out certain things and I want you to just think about these things. When you think about Moses and the way that he was brought up in Egypt, I just want to remind you that Egypt was one of the most powerful empires, one of the most powerful um, governing bodies in the world, the entire planet at the time. This was not a bunch of weaklings. They were strong militarily, that, as a society, educationally, all these things. These were things that Moses was raised in. These were things that he was trained in. And so these were things that were part of Moses' DNA because of what he was exposed to. I don't know if you've ever thought about Moses being a military leader, um, but Moses and what he did and the things that he was exposed to, he was quite accomplished, to say the least. Now, I want you to think about the 40 years to develop as a leader of men. Government. The affairs of state. Moses was a leader of men. From a military standpoint, Moses was a warfighter. I don't know if you've ever viewed Moses as a warfighter or not, but Josephus records that Moses led the Egyptian army to the defeat, that he led the Egyptian army to defeat the Ethiopian army, the Ethiopian nation in 
huge battle that Moses was the leader of that. So I don't know if you've ever looked at Moses as a, religious, as a, as a military leader, but also from a government and a diplomat, diplomatic standpoint, Moses was exposed to different affairs of state because he ruled over a vast amount of people conquered by, with, and they all had different cultures and customs. What I'm trying to get you to do is look at what took place in Moses' life. Moses was not an uneducated, backwards, not exposed to life. He was culturally enlightened. He was trained. And so I want you to see that when it came to him killing the Egyptian who was a taskmaster over the Hebrew, that was not, that was not something that he rose to occasion. He was a military guy that understood weaponry and he understood military prowess. He knew how to handle himself, so he easily disposed of the Egyptian. Have you ever looked at it from that standpoint? I want you to consider some things because it's important that we understand more details about Moses' life and what's going on here. So I want you to think about this. Moses believed in the God of the Hebrews, yet, you read that. I observed this natural tendency within myself as well. Can you see this tendency within yourself? I believe in God, yet so many times I'm confident in my preparation, my own thought processes, my gifts, and sometimes that reliance, first and foremost, is on myself, not on him. I have faith, but I'm terribly independent of God in my life. So I want you to look at this chart, and we'll refer to this back toward the end of the lesson. I want you to look at this, and um, thank you, Christian Nasek, for helping me. One of, the, one of my study books, this was the best chart I could find on the internet, and so this is old school book transformation this morning. But I want you to look at this because I want you to see this is very important. I wanted to give you a visual because it's very easy in the scripture. It's amazing to mark Moses' life in sections of 40-year periods. So I want you to think back that when you maybe thought that um, Moses killed the Egyptian, they found out about it, and he fled to the desert, he was a 40-year-old man. Okay, let's get personal. How many of you are 40 years old? How many men do we have in here that are 40 years old, you're close, you're right on the brink, okay? Raise your hands again so I can get a, I can get a view. All right, Travis is like, man, I did it twice. Come on, give me a break, all right? Now, I want you to think about it. What have you accomplished in your life? What kind of rich experiences do you have up to this point in your life? At 40 years old, you're starting to figure some things out or you're thinking, man, I thought I knew what I, I'm figuring out I don't know. But you just think about the rich experience that we have up to that 40-year mark. And I want you to just think about with me, think with me as we look at some things about Moses' life and consider things. First 40 years of life, the first 40 years of Moses' life seem to be defined by luxury, power, and success. Think about that. Isn't it ironic that he was saved, he was supposed to be killed, he was supposed to be thrown into the river and drowned. Well, there was a level of he was put in the river, but not to drown. He was given something to cocoon him and cover him up and protect him, and yet he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. But think about the way that he was raised. 
Luxury, power, and success. Exodus chapter three, if you want to turn there. Exodus chapter three, and we want to, I want to read a little bit. I want us to just see and consider some things here in the, the book of Exodus, because we're going we're gonna to kind of hang out here and uh, finish our study together this morning, considering some things. Because I want you to see that in Exodus chapter 3, God shows up in a very personal and real way and makes himself known to Moses. God secures a special personal meeting with Moses. There was no confusion, and the conversation becomes very detailed and straightforward. This is what I want you to think about. We're beginning that second category. We're moving into the second 40 years, looking at and evaluating what has transpired in that second 40-year period of his life. Think about it. Next slide. Second 40 years, you could define it a lot of ways, but Moses was not living in luxury. He was not having all of the natural success because he was part of this great empire. He was learning how to survive. He was learning how to shepherd. He was learning how to family. You think about being a prince in Egypt, his body being cleaned, his body being washed by other people, his body being, probably he was dressed, his garments were laid out, things. And we were talking we were discussing some things. I was meeting with a group of pastors this last week, and we were talking about shepherding in this time. Shepherding during this time and even shepherding in a lot of places in Europe is not this squeaky clean, nice, I get a bath all the time kind of experience because you are staying with the sheep. You're living out there with them. Sheep and the herds that they, they need, they require 24-hour care. I'm just trying to get you to get a glimpse of this second 40-year period where Moses was learning meekness and humility. Because when God shows up to talk to him, it's at the end of this 40 years of not being in Egypt, being somewhere, somewhere else. These are things I want you to consider this morning. Next slide. As I've studied deeper and evaluated Moses' response to God, I believe that Moses learned valuable lessons, but they were also affected by his new view of himself. Can I be really honest? To me, Egypt is a little bit, a little bit like America. Some of you, if you've studied Egyptian rulers, presentation of no weakness was how they ruled and reigned. Weakness was not allowed. You tracking with me? We're having a men's getaway. And part of the, part of the challenge and the discomfort of us learning to be men together within the body of Christ, it's difficult because this whole independent spirit that we value in America is also the very things that keeps us from experiencing community the way that God has called us to. So think about the Egyptians. It was so important that you not show any kind of weakness. But in the desert, he realized that there is no escaping his weaknesses. So think about it. 
He realizes his limitations. Moses realizes his limitations. Some of you in here, you've been going through things where you for the first time realize that you have limitations and it's been devastating for you. Moses realized what rejection feels like because I'm going to be honest with you, he probably had a fairly pampered life up to that point. Who's going to say anything to get the prince of Egypt? Because let me just tell you something. It wasn't like in America where you're going to go get a lawyer. If the prince said, you die, you die. Wait a minute, can we negotiate? No, no, no. It's done. It's an edict. That's the way the ruling was. Think about failure. Moses had experienced failure. Failure's not allowed. He'd made a boo-boo. Think about, you think about all the things that he, think, he was thinking about over those 40 years. Missed opportunities. What if? Thinking about those things. You, you tell me that he didn't second-guess his decision-making? You, you tell me that he didn't second-guess or work through things in his mind during those years in the desert? Next slide. These seem to be the experiences that God used to create a confidence shift in Moses' life for 40 years to move him from confidence in himself and circumstances to confidence in God. Now, please hear me. I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if, you have begun a, begun, if you've begun a faith journey, I want you to listen to me. And let me just tell you something. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, if you think certain things, you're wondering, you've got questions, I respect your questions. But I'm telling you right now that I believe that Jesus came and lived and died, not just because of what it says in the book, because of what he's done in my soul, in my mind, in the freedom and the way that he's met for me, met with me and for me and been on my behalf. God is alive and I can testify on a personal level. This is what I want you to consider. If you have faith in God and it's a genuine belief and regardless of your level of faith, I don't care what your level of faith is. You say, Tim, I barely have enough faith to get here this morning. God wants to create, please hear me, God wants to create a confidence shift in your life. And you know what I love about Moses' example of faith and what was just laid out before us? And I believe that that's what took place in the second 40 years is because the first 40 years, he believed in God, but he was a bad dude. He's got it going on. And some of you, you have so been inundated with this culture and with our educational system that you tell yourself all the time, I'm good, I'm great. I can do jumping jacks for myself. Rah, rah, me. Kick me in the knee. Rah, I'm doing, I'm. If you know that, you're laughing. Okay? I know. But you know what I'm saying is, you know the tune. But what I'm trying to say is, how can we look at our current culture and think that what has been purported in our educational system is true? We're all naturally good. And if we just get education, we'll be better and we'll ascend. Look around at our messed up world. We are sinners. We are flawed by nature. But I'm telling you that I believe in my soul that Moses in his first 40 years, he thought he had it going on. He had everything going, going for him. His second 40 years, and this is where you're going to see that when he interacts with God personally, there's a conflict in his soul because what's happened is with this confidence shift, he's having trouble getting traction. Some of you right now, you know what you're having trouble with? You're having trouble getting traction 
Because God is at work in your life and he's trying to show you that all the beautiful things that you know and understand and the great strength that you have are from him anyway. And he's trying to teach you a confidence shift. Not that you wipe away all those things, but you begin to place your confidence in him first and foremost. And that's a process. I meet people all the time, just like Moses, and I'm just like Moses. I think I got it going on, and I step out there and things fall apart. Guess what? I'm learning the lessons internally, but when God says, Tim, I want you to step up and do that again, you know what my response is? Let me pray. Let me pray about that, Father. You get what I'm saying? So think about that. 40 years for a confidence shift. Next slide. I just want to mention this because there's a lot of you that you can explain it different ways, but God has made himself very known to you on the most personal level. Maybe he's spoken through another person Maybe he's used the word of God. Maybe he's used a service. Maybe he's used a Bible study. I don't know what he's, but down in your depths of your soul, your eyes of faith, you felt something twinging taking place and drawing you different than your normal human experience. That's the spirit of God speaking to you. So you really can relate to Moses. And God speaking to him. Yes, it was different because it was a mount. Told him straightforward, take off your shoes, take off your sandals. This is a holy place. But God still speaks to us today. Next slide. I want to mention an unsaid truth from God when we, when we look at this. God is saying, Moses... You've been in the desert country and you're learning things from me that your instructors in Egypt knew nothing about. I don't care if you've been to Yale, Vanderbilt, UVA, Virginia Tech, Georgetown, UNC, Harvard, Seton Hall, the list could go on and on. I can say with confidence, and please hear the Spirit of God as I say this, there are things that only God can teach you about yourself. And there are mysteries and there are lessons that God wants to reveal to you that you could never get from the most profound, educated professors that you could walk with and be exposed to because they were not involved in the process of you coming into this world. And they don't know you inside and out, body, soul, and spirit the way that God does. The truth for us is about faith. Next slide. God says this, I want to teach you how to wait on God. How to live in dependence on me. Moses had to learn a more mature level of faith and belief. And I'm saying this with confidence this morning because I know God. I'm getting to know God and I know some of you and the lives that we're living. I want to encourage you this morning and I want to let you know that this is still true. God is trying to move so many of us in this room this morning 
to a deeper, a more mature level of faith and belief. But we have to participate in the process. Next slide. If you only remember one thing today, this might be the nugget to help your faith journey right here. This room is full of people just like me. Do you believe in God? But most of your days you live independent of him. I get that. I'm fighting my own battles. But he longs for us to believe in him and live in dependence on him. That's what faith is. Men, look at me. I'm looking at you, and let me just tell you this. If you think that walking with Jesus makes you a weaker man, if you think that you have to be a wussy, if you think that you have to be some kind of pansy to place your faith and trust and your dependence in God, you've got this whole thing backwards. Because I'm telling you right now, the freedom and the joy that I have in taking steps of faith and admitting that I am in dependence of him, my creator, the one who made me, the one who sustains me, the one who gives me gifts, my essence of manhood becomes stronger, greater, more bold, more powerful, and my fears are thrown away at the foot of the cross as I learn to live in dependence on him. Look at me, men. I get where you are. I get what your struggle is. I get what you got going on because you think that somehow we're laying down our manhood. No, no. No, we're not laying down our manhood when we live in dependence on him. We are learning what the essence of genuine manhood is because God is the one that created us to walk the walk and live in the roles that he's created us for. Me living in dependence with him is what gives me the strength and tenacity to be bold and to get in some of your faces. Some of you, when I meet with you and I call you out on your struggles and I call you out on your sin, it's not from a condem condemnation or a judging standpoint. I'm coming alongside as a brother who understands the struggle. But let me just tell you something. If you could see the 17, 18, 24-year-old Tim Duggins, I am not wired. I'm from a family of fear freaks. I'm from a bunch of women who imposed and made me fearful, I naturally am a timid, scared person. So what you think that I have learned to be confrontational is my natural gift, you don't understand the old Timmy. It's the strength and the power of God that allows me to stand in some of you that are a foot taller than me and outweigh me by 120 pounds and say, dude, your attitude stinks. You need to get right with God. That's not natural. I know mass, body type, you squash me in a second. What I'm trying to say is God does amazing things when we learn not to be independent of him, but be independence on him. I love you guys. Every, every man in here, I care about you. And I want you to live in the strength of God's glory and his power. Next one, got to roll. I want to ask you this morning, what are your experiences, your failure experiences? What are your comments to yourself, your self-talk 
that keeps you from living a life of amazing faith in God. We all have failure before God. We cannot hide our shortcomings from him. You can maybe hide them from others, but never from God. So what is your self-talk? Let me give you a few examples. Oh, Tim, I failed already. You don't know how bad I failed, big time. Some of you may be sitting here and say, I have murdered somebody. I can relate to Moses. I'm too old and I don't have it anymore. Hey, Tim, you don't understand. It's too late for me. You may say, I've hurt too many people already to this point in my life. You may be one of those that say, my addictions have robbed me of my best years. You don't know the things that I've done. What's the self-talk in your mind that keeps you from experiencing a deeper, more amazing faith? Next slide. I just want to proclaim and remind you this morning as we look at Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. When you go to Exodus chapter 4, I love that whole dialogue, and I want you to read that. You begin in verse 1 of chapter 4. When Moses answered, he said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose that they say, what I'm trying to say is, Moses played the supposed game with God Almighty. Moses had all kinds of self-talk going on inside, and the, the reason that we know that is because he shared his self-talk with God. So the failure, the rejection, all these other things, they influence, and then obviously in his mind, he had, a, he had some kind of speech thing that was a natural struggle for him, even though Stephen says that he was trained in communication with the Egyptian people, but he still had something deep in himself, whether it was a stutter, I don't know what it was. And so God said, okay, let's take all this self-talk and I'm gonna give you somebody to come right alongside of you. He'll be your mouthpiece. See, what Moses was having trouble realizing is just what this slide says, that God forgives. Faith asks for forgiveness. God, please forgive me, because God is a forgiving God. God transforms. Faith seeks change. When you ask God to change you and help you and transform your life, it's that faith because you believe that God transforms. God gives us second, third, fourth, fifth. Some of, some of you, you're keeping track of all your failures, but God's not keeping track of the times that he forgives you because he wants you to keep coming to him because it's a learning process. Perfectionism gets focused on the number of times that we fail. Faith says you're still getting up and moving forward. You hear me? We're talking about the difference between faith and works because it is more about God than me, you, or us. God given second, third chances. Faith proclaims a need and a dependence. Let's look at the chart one more time as we wrap things up. You know what I love about Moses? Regardless of his self-talk, on my chart, I circled this shepherd of Israel part. Please hear me when I say this. The first 80 years of his life versus the last 40 the greatest, richest, 
most amazing steps of faith and the proclamation of God, not just for Moses. That's okay, I'll wrap up. That's good. Good reminder. Thank you. We're the last 40 years of his life. Look at me. I'm asking some of you right now, point blank, what in the world does God have prepared for your future if you will just come to him and ask his forgiveness and if you will come to him and believe that he can transform and change your life? You're the one keeping track of all the bad stuff and all the self-talk and all the failure, all the rejection, all the heartache, all the things that you thought that you should have had together better. God wants to use those as part of your education for faith. You know what I see when I meet with a lot of you one-on-one? I don't see broken, twisted, dysfunctional people because we all got that in common. You know what I see? I see people that have faith that God loves, that God is already doing amazing things, and God wants to do even greater things through your life. Just like Moses. I don't know what the last years of your life. I don't have any clue how long I'm going to live. I don't have any clue how long you're going to live. But I can promise you that if you, by faith, will meet with God and lay yourself before him, the last years can crush the early years. Can I tell you something? That's why I do what I do. Believing that God still transforms. Do you know how many of you have set And I've said it to several of you. There's been many times, some of you men, when I meet with you, it's point blank clear. I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. That's okay. That's my role. Whether you think I'm nuts, crazy, whacked, off off the charts, whatever, I don't care. But I used to care. I used to be so wrapped up in myself, like when I stand up here and sing and proclaim praises of God, I spent the majority of my life not singing from my heart because I was so worried about what other people would think and because I was typically in a Baptist church with a bunch of deadheads. Yeah, I said it. (laughs) Singing about the grace of God and his mercy and forgiveness in a very controlled, as long as my tune is exactly correct, These guys sitting up here this morning, they're laughing at me. I sing the wrong words at the right time, and I sing the right words at the wrong time. And I used to let that shut me up, like, oh, my goodness. I don't care anymore. Now, that may scare some of you. That's okay. Be scared. You see what I'm saying? Because I've learned the joy of the Lord, and I'm proclaiming to my God. And when he says, sing a little louder, I'm like, that is my song, Chris. Thank you for picking that song. Tom, thank you so much. Sing a little louder. I'm like, yeah. Some of you are like, ooh. You get what I'm saying? Last slide. Will you choose? Will you choose to believe what God says about you? Say, Tim, I don't know what God says about you. God says you're fearfully and wonderfully created. Whether you think from your parents you're an accident or you think you're not unwanted, God says that you are a special creation brought into this world and you're no accident. God says that he loved you so magnificently that he gave his son 
so that you could live. He says that he so wants you to know him that when you were born, you were, you were given a seed of faith. You say, Tim, I can't have faith. No, that's not true. He's already placed that seed within you. You've just got to act on it. And he says that when you turn to me, I love you and I protect you. Nothing can come against you. I have great things prepared for you. Let's remember Moses' life and his example to us of faith this morning. Father, I don't know, oh God, I so long to see your hand. Father, it's, it's gotta be your spirit. It's your spirit that convicts. It's your spirit that draws. And Father, Moses has been a, oh, such an example to so many people for so long. And God, we come to you this morning and I thank you so very much for Moses' example and the reality of what we're studying. Help us to remember him. But God, I'm asking for faith this morning. Anybody that needs to take that baby step of faith and put themselves in your hands and ask for forgiveness and cleansing, that they would feel the washing of your spirit over them, that transforming first step, God. And I ask that you would do great and mighty things in our midst, Father, that you would call out people this morning on a new way to mature and take steps of faith, God. I believe in the name of Jesus that there are people walking and living next to my brothers and sisters, that the only way they're going to hear faith is through their lips and their lives. So, Father, I ask that you would reveal that to them. And, God, we're asking you to shake things up, to stir us up in this region. God, that you would build a mighty army for your glory, that the gospel would be proclaimed in love and forgiveness and power that we don't have. God, I pray against our unbelief, and I ask you for faith. Thank you for Moses' example of faith. Because of Jesus, we're asking you to do great and mighty things that we can't even comprehend. Amen.